Welcome to the Antioch Community Church Podcast. We are a church located in the downtown Birmingham area where we desire to be with and like Jesus and help others do the same for the glory of God. We hope today's message encourages and challenges you. Scripture reading tonight is from Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. If you want to take your Bible and turn there. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This is the word of the Lord. I can, uh, I can still remember uh, my grandfather's funeral. I was young, uh, something under 10 years old. It's all like under 10 for me is just kind of a blur. So I could have been two, I could have been nine. I don't really remember. Somewhere in there, I was, under, I was young. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't even really know my, my grandfather that well. This was my, my mother's uh, father. Uh, we lived in Charlotte, North Carolina at the time, and uh, he, was, he had lived in West Virginia his entire life. And so we didn't really get to see him that often. And um, I, like I said, I was, I was pretty young when he passed away. And I remember, you know, we... You know, I remember, you know, my parents getting the call that he had passed away. And so, um, you know, we, we, obviously my mom is, you know, devastated, even though he's older. It's just, you know, it's never easy to lose a parent, really, no, no matter how old you are. And, uh, you know, we got all, packed all the stuff in the car. We made the drive up to West Virginia, to Charleston. And, uh, you know, we, we got there, we were seeing family. And then it came, you know, that Saturday, I believe it was, when he had his service and, uh, I remember, you know, driving into the, the cemetery um, is where they, they had the service. They had this building there was like, you know, this, it was the, the back wall was just all windows and the side walls where the service was, I don't know if this is normal or not, but it was actually where they had like indoor, I don't know what they call mausoleums or that, but it's just where people who didn't want to be buried underground were buried above ground on the sides and you could see the tombstones on the walls and then at the front was where I guess it was, a pastor, or I'm not sure who this, who the guy was officiating this. Um, and then there was the open casket of my grandfather up there in the front. And I, you know, I remember ever since getting the call to making the trip up there to, you know, actually pulling up to the cemetery and walking to the room, it's like there was like this kind of ball of tension that just kind of continued to, to grow. And, and I didn't really quite understand it because like I said, I didn't know him that well, I mean, A, I was young, and, and B, I mean, could probably count on two hands the number of times I, I had even seen him because they lived so far away, and he was, they were pretty old, and so they didn't make the trip down to see us very often, and, you know, I'm sitting through the service, and, you know, it's my, my whole immediate family is on one row. It's my mom, my dad, my older brother, my younger brother, and, like, I remember thinking, like, I, I don't know why I'm, I'm feeling this. Like, I mean, it's, I guess it's sad to lose a lose a grandparent, but I, I didn't know him that well. And then at some point, you know, it was not a necessarily sad part of the service because no one else in that moment was crying, but something just just hit me and it just, all that kind of buildup just came out and I just started sobbing uncontrollably, you know, just uh, just this, this realization of like, you know, I, I didn't know him that well and that's actually part of what I was grieving. I was grieving the loss of 
the fact that, you know, this guy who was kind of a legendary figure, he was in the Navy and he'd won the Golden Gloves in boxing and, um, you know, all these, you know, he grew up on a farm, he built the house with his dad, just all this stuff of like, man, I never, I never got to know this guy, really, in a way that I could have, uh, you know, meaningful conversations with him. And I remember my older brother, who's, uh, who's quite a bit, he's about 15 years older than me, you know, looking over and kind of looking surprised because I hadn't shown any emotion up until that point. And then him just leaning over and putting his arm around me and just this sense of like, he actually knew our grandfather pretty well because he lived in West Virginia for his childhood. And so he was like a second dad to him. And there was this morning of him losing that, but then him knowing that here's his little brother who didn't get to know him like I knew him. And those moments of mourning and grief, I'm sure most of you have experienced that kind of thing. Um, not all, but most. And if you haven't yet, you know, it's just inevitable part of life where it just, you lose someone that you love. And, and some of you have, um, you've lost parents and some of you lost them um, much too early. And some of you have lost grandparents or siblings. I mean, it's just, it's just unfortunately, it's just an inevitable part of life. But then there's also just all the other death-related things that happen all the time, right, on a daily basis. Maybe, maybe you haven't lost someone really close to you yet, or maybe you have, but it's been a long time. And really, the, the, the things that are, that are more prone to make you grieve and deeply sad um, are just all the ways that, that death degrades and decays your daily life. I mean, just, you know, there's all kinds of deaths that happen. Death of a, of a relationship, of a friendship, the death of a romantic relationship, the death of a, the dream for a, a job or a vocation. Um, I mean, so many things, you know, that we can lose that, you know, we, we feel we'll, we'll never get back or things that we long for that we'll never get. And that sense of mourning and deep sadness is, is for us absolutely at the very end of the line of things that we would expect to be included in anyone's description of the good life. Because we think of the good life as, you know, we have the perfect body and we're laying on a beach somewhere remote with, you know, an umbrella and just soaking up the rays and, you know, enjoying, you know, being carefree and having no worries, no annoyances. Everything's easy, everything's gone right. And yet Jesus takes that, the exact opposite of that, the idea of mourning, and he says that there's actually something that mourning has to do with the truly good life. And it's, it's like a plow, you know, like uh, the, kind of the modern machine, or think about like old school, a, a plow that you would hook onto a horse that's just going through and it's just tilling up the soil. It's like what Jesus is doing through the Beatitudes, the beginning of his teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. It's like he's plowing up the grounds of our imaginations and our hearts and our minds because he's, he's redoing the ground to say, look, there is a, there's a better way and it's a different way than what any of you would expect. So listen up. And that's where we are today. We are continuing in Jesus's nine sayings that we call the Beatitudes, or this idea of blessed attitudes. It's kind of the idea. And uh, just to kind of get us, you know, remind us of where we're at here, this is at the very beginning of Jesus's public ministry, and he has uh, started proclaiming the kingdom, calling people to repentance and belief, and he's healing people, and those two things together are causing a lot of people to want to be around him. 
And he starts drawing these great crowds. And then he does the exact opposite of every other person in ministry that's ever lived since. Instead of like saying, you know, finally I got my following. You know, he just, he goes up on a mountain and leaves them down the bottom of the mountain. And his disciples, a small band of guys that he started calling to himself, go up on this mountain with him. And then the next three chapters of Matthew are him instructing them on this way of life, which is called the kingdom, that he is bringing to bear and calling all people to hear and receive and then walk in. And he starts it with these beatitudes, which are turning you know, everything you and I would uh, ever guess about what the good life is on its head. And so we started with looking at, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's where we were a couple of weeks ago. This idea that where Jesus starts is a spiritual poverty. That that's actually where the good life starts. Not a sense of arrogance, but of complete destitute emptiness. But now, where we're looking today is he goes on to say, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. That idea of mourning is exactly you know, what, what we would think it would be. It's, it's deep sadness, it's grieving, and it's not, a, it's not a, you know, this is not a particularly spiritual usage of the word. This is just talking about mourning, period. Not like spiritual mourning of my sin and all that, which that's part of it, but just, this is just talking about just the raw reality of living in a, you know, incredibly fractured world because of sin and death. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What I want to do is um, to draw out some of the significance of, of this. I actually want to take us to a different part in one of the other Gospels in John 11. So if you want to turn there to John 11, I'm going to paraphrase the, the first parts of it, and then we'll actually look at, because um, it's kind of a longer story um, or account, and then we'll look at specific parts of it in just a bit. But in John 11, uh, what we get introduced to is uh, a man named Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha. And what we come to find out is that these three siblings uh, are actually very close friends of Jesus. And um, Jesus is away at the time. They're in, in Judea. He is somewhere else at this time. And he is, you know, doing whatever he's doing with his disciples and doing his ministry stuff. And somehow he gets this message sent from Mary to him. We're not told if it's like a smoke signal or a carrier pigeon or a camel with, you know, some scroll on it. Who knows? Somehow this message was sent to him. And um, Mary lets him know that Lazarus, her brother, and one of the friends who specifically says that whom you love, this is someone very near to Jesus' heart, um, says that he is sick. And he must have been pretty sick. She must have been pretty concerned to go through this trouble to send a carrier pigeon or to make this, uh, you know, fire so she could, you know, make this message, however she did this. And she sends that message to him. Lord, verse 3, whom you love, he whom you love is ill. And then Jesus says in verse 4, but When Jesus heard it, he said, The illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So Jesus essentially seems to kind of shrug it off. Mary's making this point. My brother is really sick. 
kind of a, the assumption, read, he might die. Jesus, A, you care about him. B, we're bros, so maybe you could help me out here and do a little bit of your healing stuff on him like you do for all these other people. And Jesus just kind of plainly and flatly says, this illness does not lead to death. And that's all he says. Somehow he sends that message back. I don't know if he got his pigeon and sent it out and that was the message that he had or if it was his camel or what. He sent it out somehow. This illness does not lead to death. But then what we see happen is Jesus It then specifically goes on to say that Jesus and his disciples stayed where they were for two days. Then after those two days, Jesus says to his disciples, we're going to Judea, which is where Lazarus and Mary and Martha were. And they say, well, A, if we go there, the Jews and the the, the leaders there, they're going to stone you. They're going to kill you. Because things had already started ramping up uh, against Jesus at this point in the story. And so, you know, they're trying to prevent him from going down there to get killed. And then he says, well, Lazarus has fallen asleep. And they're like, okay, so, you know, maybe someone else can just wake him up. And then he just flat out says, no, what, what I mean is Lazarus is dead. So he waits two days until he's sure that he is dead, even though he's just told Mary two days before that, this illness does not lead to death. Then he dies, Lazarus dies, and then his he and his disciples make the trip down to Judea. And at first, he, when he gets there, he sees Martha and he talks to her for a little bit. And she says the same thing that Mary goes on to say, which is, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Because when he got there, he realized they told him he'd been dead for four days at that point. And then Mary, who's still in the house, hears that he's out there and she comes out. And that's where I want to pick up reading in verse 32. So John 11, verse 32. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I want to stop there. So, so Martha and Mary say the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. Which is a difficult thing for us as the reader to hear her say because we know what Jesus did. She seems to not have known that he knew that he died before he came. But we as the reader know Jesus intentionally waited until he died. He could have left wherever he was and gone down and healed Lazarus. He could have done that easily. And yet he intentionally chose not to do that. And this is, these aren't just random people in the crowds. These are, this is a family Two sisters and a brother that that Jesus loved dearly, that were in his corner. And he lets, excuse me, he lets Lazarus die. And so it it makes us begin to wonder, and obviously Mary's probably thinking this too, you know, I mean, is Jesus just cold hearted? That he, I mean, it's it's almost like he's being mean almost to like wait until he dies and then come and show up you know, with his magic, you know, stuff in his back pocket, a potion where he could throw it on Lazarus and make him live. 
or make him healed. And then it goes on to say, verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. There's, uh, verse 34, and he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come see. And then verse 35, Jesus wept. So we at least know one thing, that Jesus wasn't being cold-hearted here. He was, what does it say? He was moved deeply in his spirit as he saw one of his close friends grieving the death of her brother. And he was greatly troubled. But then verse 36 goes on to say, so the Jews said, see how he loved him. Right? And so not only is this, he's troubled because he's watching someone he loves mourn the loss of someone they love. He's also in that moment mourning the loss of one of his good friends. But again, why is Jesus going this route? That's the obvious elephant in the room for us as the reader. Jesus could have come two days earlier, and yet he didn't. And I think for you and for I, there are so many things that happen on you know, a daily basis, like, you know, in like a lowercase, and then there's the capital you know, case where, where we say the same thing that Mary and Martha were saying to Jesus. Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Lord, if you had been here, fill in the blank. This relationship would have worked out. This painful thing would have happened to me. This period of waiting wouldn't have continued on. This disappointment, this loss, this fill in the blank, this suffering, this thing that's got me deeply saddened and grieving and like a ball of sorrow just building up and it just comes out when you least expect it. If you had been here, this wouldn't have happened which is true. On one hand, you know, we see there's something comforting here, a bare minimum, that when Mary and Martha are weeping over the loss of their brother, Jesus doesn't cold-heartedly, you know, stand back detached and aloof, right? He also steps in. So that in and of itself, but at but still, at the end of the day, if, if it ends there, right, with just you weeping and Jesus weeping with you and both of you mourning, I mean, that's all great and good, but nothing changes. Nothing ends up happening. There's no power. There's no anything. It's just you're stuck in, you know, a life and a world and a body that's fractured by sin and Jesus is sorry about it and that's it. But then it goes on to say this. In verse 38, then Jesus, deeply moved again, right? His heart, he, he cares. He's, he's emotionally invested in this friend and in this family. He came to the tomb. So he hadn't even come to the tomb yet, and he's already weeping. Verse 39, Jesus said, or sorry, it says, it was a cave so where Lazarus was, was laid, and a stone lay against it. Verse 39, Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, reiterating he's dead, 
said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they might believe that you sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to, said to them, unbind him and let him go. Jesus, in his all-infinite wisdom and love and power and kindness and grace and mercy and justice, he will let things get worse so that he can make them better. He will let things get worse in your life so that he can make them better. That is not the kind of mindset that we expect. That's not necessarily what we even want from the Lord. Because think about it. If Jesus had just come right away, right, and and healed Lazarus right there and he would have never died, they would have been thankful for that, right? That would have been meaningful to them. But there was something much deeper that he wanted to do in Lazarus's life, in Mary's life, in Martha's life, and to all those around watching, that he actually, he allowed it to get bad because nothing is too hard for him to do. Nothing is impossible for him to redeem, to restore, to resurrect. And Jesus was willing to let it get worse before he made it better because he can redeem anything. He can redeem anyone. Any suffering, any pain, any addiction, any struggle in your life, he can redeem. He can bring restoration. Now I want to bring us back to Matthew 5. Because it doesn't just say in verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, period. It says, because there's not necessarily anything that blessed about just mourning and grieving and weeping. But there's a promise attached with every single one of these invitations to this way of, this, uh, Jesus' way of being in the world. And the, the promise attached here is, for they shall be comforted. This word comforted here, it literally means to be drawn near. And it's the same word that's used as one of the, the descriptors for the Holy Spirit, the comforter. What the Holy Spirit does in your life when you can't, you can't explain it, you, can't, you don't really understand it, and it's not always there, but there are moments where you receive, it's like you've been touched by Christ himself, and he's not even here physically, because he's, he's bringing his love to bear on you through his spirit and his comfort. And, you know, this, and this, is, this is exactly what, what Jesus he himself went through this whole sequence, right? I mean, because it's, you know, it's, it's one thing to just think, you know, okay, Jesus, you know, he did this. He could have come to Mary and Martha, and, but he didn't, and then he did, and then he raised him. Um, and it, it's, if we're not careful, we can almost see Jesus, like, 
sitting back with fangs a little bit, almost just kind of like menacing and almost a little evil that he would allow this to happen. But Jesus made things worse for himself too in this process because he loved Lazarus. Again, this wasn't just some random guy he didn't know. This was one of his closest friends. These were two women that he loved and were close friends of his. And that's exactly what the cross does. It, it testifies to it. It tells you. It, it demands that you not accuse God of not being willing to get his hands dirty. And, and that, that God himself, what Jesus did is he allowed things to get much worse for himself so that they could get much better for you. That's what he was doing on the cross. Willingly. Right? The disciples were saying, look, if you go down to, to Judea, you're going to get killed. And that's actually exactly what happened. He got there, and the next thing we read about is the triumphal entry. This kickstarts the, the Passion Week, where Jesus then, in just a few days, is executed and killed. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I want to... Um, Take us to another verse. This is a, a shorter verse in 1 Peter. It'll be up on the screen as well. 1 Peter 5. Verse 10 says this. Because at the, you know, at the end of the, the road for us is not more mourning for those in Christ. Right? And this is what Jesus is saying here. This isn't you know, just... For anybody and everybody, right? This is couched in kingdom living, right? This is his promise to those who would trust in him. And he says this in first, or it says this in First Peter five or ten. And after you have suffered a little while, after you've suffered a little while, now your life might be very long. Ali's grandmother, uh, who just passed away this past week, lived to be ninety-two years old. That's a long time. That's still a little while, though. 92 years is still a little while. Even if every single day of your life has been, is, and will only continue to be struggle and disappointment, it's still a little while. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has, call, excuse me, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore. Jesus doesn't outsource binding up broken hearts. He doesn't outsource binding up broken bodies, even in the resurrection. He himself, this is, Jesus, you know, God is, is getting his hands dirty again. That's, that's how he started in the garden, right? Making us out of dirt. And then the whole way through, he himself will restore I love the picture that we get at the very end of the, of the Bible in Revelation 21 where it says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There's actually physical touch. He himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Most of those words carry in the original language like a medical connotation. So it's the idea of, of he himself will bandage you up he himself will take all the bones that are broken, you know, physically, actually the way your body's been broken down by sin and death and give you a new body, but then also spiritually and mentally and emotionally and all the, the things that make up you, 
He will set those bones straight and put them back into joint. And he restores. He gives, he gives back what the enemy has stolen. That's what, that's what resurrection is about. And so, and so no matter how much suffering you are experiencing, no matter how much mourning you have experienced or are or, or will, at the end of the road for you, if you're in Christ, is not more mourning, it's comfort. It's being drawn near. It's having the tears wiped away from your eyes. One of the things that bothered me as I was studying this was the fact that it seemed like Jesus lied. Didn't it? He told Mary and Martha and Lazarus, who was, I guess, alive at that point still, this illness, whatever it was, doesn't lead to death. And then he died. And Jesus knew that was going to happen. And then he waited until he died to come. It doesn't lead to death. That suffering doesn't lead to death. And yet he died. It's like, uh, made me think about like being on a subway. If you've ever been on a subway, you know that the, oftentimes the lines are named after their final stop. They're not named after the stop, the street next to the last one. You get on, I'm going to make it up, you know, the 80th Street train. Well, it's because that one ends on 80th Street. That's where it ultimately leads. Even if, even if you have to stop on 79th, where it's really scary, you end up at Street 80. And so Jesus wasn't lying. He was being truthful. This didn't lead to Lazarus' death. This illness led to his resurrection. Your suffering, no matter how much it com- you know, compounds down on you, will only lead ultimately to your resurrection. It will ultimately only lead to, like the, the end of the journey for you is comfort, is, is God himself, Jesus, consoling, comforting, confirming, strengthening you. That is, that is something that can keep us going. That's something that can keep me going. That's, that's hope, right? That's what the world needs and that's why. That's why we go. That's why we put ourselves out there um, to ask the Lord, who are you working around me? Because people don't have hope. They're grieving without hope, which is, you know, unbearable. People need hope desperately. And Jesus is the only way to have hope. He's the only hope that actually gives you hope and can't be taken away and only fills up the longer you get to know him. And so as we come to a close, I want to give us a few moments, give you a few moments just to pause and reflect um, on whatever, you know, whatever God might have been speaking to you during this time. And to kind of segue into that, just, you know, I think there's two kind of practical things that we can pull away from this in terms of how this can help you navigate your relationship with God. I think first, um, you are allowed to and invited to talk to Jesus like Mary and Martha did when they said, if you had been here. God is not so insecure that 
he can't have a child, right? You're not just some critic out there. One of his children bring a genuine concern to him. Lord, if you had been here, so I don't know what that is for you. Like, we all have those moments, some small, medium, large in our lives. If you had been here, Lord, this would not have happened. It wouldn't have turned out this way. Like, Lord, where were you? You're allowed to say that to him, but you're not allowed to stop there. Because if you look at what Mary and Martha did, they didn't, they didn't stop there. They both said that, and then Jesus said, show me where he's laid, and they didn't shut the door on him. They said, they, they took him to where he was. They, they let Jesus come in. Even though, in their perspective, they, he disappointed them, and he wasn't there for them, they didn't let that callous them against Jesus, which is the very thing that can happen in suffering, especially as, as a follower of Christ. It can be the thing that can make you say, you just end with, where were you? Why would you let this happen? And that's where you have to go back to the cross and the resurrection. That Jesus himself shows you more than anybody else that he cares about the pain and suffering in the world and in your life because he didn't have to get that mess on him, and he did. So that you could be cleaned and made new and restored and whole and have a hope and have a future. So those kind of two things are what I want to you know, hand to you for the next few moments to just spend some time with Jesus. So we have two prompts here on the screen. Um, what is your if you had been there, if you had been here moment? Talk to Jesus about your disappointment. So there, you know, again, this is not like there's just one, um, you know, you, there may be, may be a big one in your past, but you've, you've already worked through that. So don't, don't hit that. Just what's, what is, where does it, you know, like a doctor would say if you came to the office, where does it hurt? Where is it hurt right now? Is it, is it relational? Is it just, is it something going on in your own mind and spirit? Is it something financial or vocational or something going on in the world? Like, you know, where, where is it hurt? Where, is you, where are you saying, Jesus, if you had been here, <coughs> this wouldn't have happened. And just talk with Jesus about your disappointment, just like Mary and Martha did. But then also, you know, don't close the door on him. Ask Jesus to build your faith, to believe in his promise of his presence and ultimately future comfort. His, the comfort that is awaiting you is something that, that's, that is what the, that's what kingdom living, that is ultimately the good life is. Patiently enduring and persevering through a life of suffering, knowing that God is going to make things good. C.S. Lewis has a great illustration of this, and I'll give us some time just to reflect and pray, talking about um, this idea of living with suffering and the fact that it can feel like that's just all that there is and all that God has for you. And he likens it to having a, uh, like an abscessed tooth, an infected tooth that has to get removed. And so you go to the dentist, and they clamp down on the tooth, and they start pulling and tugging. And he said, your whole life is basically just like pulling and pulling and pulling and it hurts and then it's out. The, the comfort, confirmation, establishing 
wiping away of tears. That is what is in front of you. So I want to give you a few moments to pray, reflect on these, spend some time with Jesus, and then I will, uh, I will pray for us. We are so glad you joined us today. If you would like to stay connected with us, visit our website at antiochbhm.com, where you can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. If you have any questions about today's message, or would like to speak with someone about what was shared today, please email us at info at antiochbhm.com. Go in peace.